0: Years ago, John Ortberg wrote a book titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. The author believes deep within us lies the same faith and longing that sent Peter walking across the windswept Sea of Galilee toward Jesus. Do you find yourself in a storm? Jesus is waiting to meet you out on the risky waters of faith. Stepping outside your comfort zone is thrilling and terrifying at the same time but it will change you forever, deepening your character and your trust in God. Will you step into the deep and stormy waters where Jesus promises to meet you? Or stay in the calm and shallow end of faith? I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today, Ron takes us once again to that stormy night on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus walked on water. If you remember, someone else defied the laws of physics that night, at least for a moment, until he took his eyes off Jesus. The series is called Believe, The Miracles of Jesus. Look for it online at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From John chapter six, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good message, The Perfect Storm Miracle.
0: Number two. When you're in uh, stormy waters, get out of the boat. It may require to get out of the boat. Look at um, Matthew. Remember, we're harmonizing some of the gospel accounts here. And in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28, it says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and uh, came to Jesus. Sometimes the only way to make fear disappear is to take a step of faith and to get out of the boat. Now, we have have fun kind of beating up on Peter because Peter is kind of the open-mouth, insert-foot disciple. He's rather bombastic at times. He he, uh, thinks or rather speaks and acts before he thinks. But in this case, you've got to give Peter three cheers because he's the only one of the disciples who gets out of the boat and takes this step of faith. The rest of them, I can just imagine, are kind of huddled up in the hull of the boat and they're wringing their hands in worry and, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? Peter, Peter is the one that sees Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, not sure that it is, kind of looks like you, kind of sounds like you, but if it's you, then invite me to come on out. Have you ever been in that place where the Lord is, is kind of urging you to get out of your comfort zone, out of that familiar place, out of that place of routine and step out in faith, and you're saying, Lord, if this, is, if this is really of you, make it absolutely clear and I'll follow you. Make sure that when you say that, you're willing to follow because he'll make it absolutely clear. Uh, Peter even says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come command me to come. By the way, every step of faith is an answer of obedience to a command that God has given to us. And notice the command, just one word. Jesus said, come. He didn't say, come on, Peter, pretty please. Come on, Peter, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Come on, Peter, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. No, He just says, come. Just come, just a single word. That's all you need from the Lord, is a single word. How many times does He need to say, go? Go. How many times does he need to say, come? How many times does he need to say, do it, before you obey him? I I, I know it's about getting out of the boat, out of your comfort zone, out of your safe place, out of that place of routine, out of that place that makes you feel good. It's about upsetting all that. And maybe the storm that God has you in right now is designed specifically to disturb that safe place enough to get you to move in this direction. But fear always causes us to retreat into our safe place. And in doing so, we, we miss out on an opportunity that God might have for us. Remember, that some, some storms are meant to perfect us and in doing so to stretch us to move in a direction that God wants us to go. Number three, after you make fear disappear, after you get out of the boat, then you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, I know this is simple stuff, but look at this in, again in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 14, verses 30 and 31. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you... Of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, that phrase right there, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? gives us, you know, the indication. This, this is the, the course syllabus here. It's all about faith, right? And, and, and we can walk in one of three ways we can let our fears govern us, we can walk by our feelings, or we can walk by faith. But you can't do all of that simultaneously. Because fear will always eclipse faith, and faith has nothing to do with your feelings. Uh, your feelings are very unpredictable. We'll talk about that, more about that in a moment. But you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. It says, you know, when Peter saw the wind, now, I can imagine Peter, again, three cheers for Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you, just, just give me the word and I'll come. And he, he begins to put his foot up over the edge of that boat and steps down into the water and he feels something firm up a little bit. And so... He tries a second one. All the while, he's looking at Jesus. But somewhere along the way, he looks to his left or to his right. He notices. Maybe he gets a big old splash of wave in his face. I don't know what. But it says he saw the wind. And as soon as he saw the wind, that's when he started to go down. He looked at his circumstances, took his eyes off of Jesus. And it happens every time, every time. Uh, oftentimes at 2 in the morning when you're woken up in the middle of the night and you're in a cold sweat and you're all full of fear and worry and and you're working all those worst-case scenarios about what's going to happen, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, you've put them onto your circumstances, and now fear has you paralyzed. And you say, I just can't do it, I just can't do it, I just can't do it. Kind of reminds me of a principle in baseball. Golf applies, too, but in both sports, you've got to keep your eye on the ball, all right? You know, in baseball, the best hitters, the ones with the, the best averages, uh, they have eagle eyesight. I mean, they can even see the spin of the laces on the ball, and they, you know, it's a fastball, curveball, maybe a slider. They can determine that right, right as it leaves the pitcher's hand, but you, you watch those guys in slow motion, and their head is right on the ball to where they can see the ball, hit the bat. The guys who don't make it in the big leagues are, you know, guys like me that were, you know, (laughs) pulling my left shoulder out, pulling my head like this, and I I miss it or I foul it off. Same is true in golf. You know, my, my brother played golf in college, and he says, Ron, he says, you got a great swing until about six inches before the ball, and he says, I don't know what happens at that point. Well, it's because I take my eye off the ball, you know, and it shanks off this direction or that direction. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, and especially when you're going through difficult times. And what does that look like? It means staying in the Word, staying in prayer, staying in fellowship with other Christians, and doing that in times when the waters are calm so you're storing up faith and storing up truth that the Holy Spirit can use during that time, but certainly ratcheting up your time in the Word and your time in prayer and your time fellowshipping with other Christians when you're going through difficult times and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Hold your place here in the Gospels and turn with me to the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 to 3 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it uses some athletic analogies here. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's, he's summarizing chapter 11, this great hall of faith where he talked about all the great saints of the Old Testament, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Noah and Enoch and Samson and, you know, all of those. He says, we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, another translation says, fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the analogy he's using here is from the precursor to the Olympic Games. They were called the Isthmian Games, and and it's easy to kind of picture in our minds a long distance runner or even a sprinter uh, who've got their their eyes focused on the finish line. You've seen these 100-meter sprinters. unbelievably fast men and women who compete in international games and, and their form is so tight and their head doesn't bob or weave or at all, and their, their focus is on the finish line. Never, never does a, a runner at that level ever glance to their right or glance to their left. Even in horse racing, they put the blinders on the horses, right? because they need to keep that horse focused on the prize. If they start looking to the left or looking to the right, the the horse will lose its focus. It's the same way in the Christian life. It's a simple principle. But I'm talking about putting into practice truth you probably already know and truth that you need to put into practice right now as you're in the midst of a storm. Keep your eyes on Jesus, because when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he started sinking. And fear that is always lurking around the heart is looking for another opportunity to seize control. And it seized control of Peter for the, in that moment, and he lost courage. And what do you do when you lose courage? <laughs> you, you, you cry out and pray the shortest prayer you're ever going to pray, Lord Jesus, save me. And that's what Peter prayed. And it says Jesus immediately reached out His hand took hold of him. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it?
1: Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good Radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If you've never visited our website, somethinggoodradio.org, I encourage you to stop by. There you'll find our streaming platform for the entire media ministry. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Perfect Storm Miracle, here once again is Dr. Ron Jones.
0: And it brings me to number four. Something to remember when you're in the midst of this stormy time is that Jesus is praying for you. Go back to Mark's gospel as we harmonize these accounts. Remember, Mark is the one who gives us that extra detail that after Jesus had taken his leave of them, them being the crowd he just fed, the 5,000 or the disciples he just put in the boat, it says he went up on the mountain to pray. I love that Mark gives us that detail. He goes up to the mountain to pray. Now, what was Jesus praying about? Who was He praying for? Well, the truth is we don't know. We don't have that detail in any of the gospel accounts, but we can make an educated guess, can't we? He was probably praying for His disciples whom He had made to get into the boat, and He knew He was sending them out into the Sea of Galilee into a storm. And it's a beautiful reminder that no matter what storm you're going through right now, Jesus is praying for you. It's always great to get a text message or an email message or a phone call from somebody who says, hey, I heard you're going through this. We're praying for you. But whether you get that or not, you can always have confidence in knowing that somebody is praying for you and his name is Jesus. And we refer to this in theology as the intercessory prayer ministry of Jesus. Intercessory prayer, maybe the highest form of prayer, is praying on behalf of somebody else. And the Bible tells us that right now, as Jesus is ascended at the right hand of the Father, that He is always making intercessions for the saints, Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 also says this, that the primary ministry of Jesus is prayer. Uh, Prayer is is the fuel that, 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 that generates answers from heaven, and Jesus is praying for us, be encouraged by that. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. No, he, he's praying for you right now, and through this difficult time you're going through. He's praying that it would increase your faith, and your sense of endurance, and uh, the the longevity of your walk with Him. He's growing deep, deep roots in your faith, so that when the next storm comes. Uh, you, you have a record of His faithfulness that you can look back on and say, you know, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, and it's nothing like the storm I'm facing here. And if He was faithful here, He's going to be faithful here as well. Number five and last, when you're in these stormy times, another thing to be reminded of, and I'll say it this way, the great I Am is a present help. He's a present help in trouble. Let's go back to John chapter 6 and verse 20. It says, Jesus said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Underline or circle or just star that phrase, it is I. You don't see it in the English, but in the Greek language, the original language it was written. It's ego, I, me. It's one of the great I am statements. You know, God reveals Himself in the Scripture through a number of names, none of which are more self-identifying than when He said to Abraham and Moses and others, you know, I am who I am. I am the All-Sufficient One, you know. Lord, tell us Your name. Okay, I am. And this is the name he uses here. By the way, John is the one that records the seven great I am statements of Jesus that were self-identifying statements and claims to deity. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the true vine. John records all of these. And he's careful to record that when Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm with the disciples, he says, I am is here. It was meant to be wonderfully comforting that the all-sufficient one, the creator of heaven and the earth, has arrived. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Cling to that. By faith, I don't care how you feel, okay? The question is, what does God say in His Word? What does He tell us? Cling to those promises. For example, one more place to go, Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46, verses one to three, might be familiar to you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. It's poetic language to say, I don't care what storm you're going through in life, God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. He he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is a very present help in trouble. And He is near. So near that He's praying for you. So near that when you say, Jesus, save me, boom, He's right there to grab you by the hand and lift you up. He's that near. You say, Well, I I I just feel like God has abandoned me. It's not about your feelings, it's about faith. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let your feelings direct you. It's faith in what God says and reveals in His Word, and He says, I am a very present help in time of trouble, whether the… Waters roar and foam or the mountains fall into the sea. You can just imagine the natural or whatever disaster that takes place in your life. You can go to the nth degree and to the worst-case scenario. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. He will be faithful to the end. And that's good news today. Some storms are meant to correct us. Some storms are meant to perfect us. And when God takes us through that stormy time, He's doing so to strengthen our faith and to give us a record of His faithfulness. So when the next storm comes, and it will, Jesus said to His disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. There will be storms. You may not have faced the biggest storm of your life yet, But every storm you have gone through where God has demonstrated his faithfulness, that's a record of his faithfulness you can look back on and say, you know, if he was faithful here, he'll be faithful over here as well. And the bigger the storm, the greater his faithfulness, the more intimate his presence, and and the deeper my faith grows as, as I walk with him.
1: Thanks for being here with us for today's Something Good radio message, The Perfect Storm Miracle. Dr. Ron Jones is here with me. Ron, at the beginning of the series, you said that John recorded these eight miracles to point to the deity of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, is it possible that this scene on the Sea of Galilee shows us the first sign that the disciples were finally getting the message? Great question, Brian. The short
0: answer is yes. Uh, They weren't quite all the way there yet. That would come sometime later when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there's no doubt progress was being made. And here's why I say this. On this night for the first time, one of the disciples demonstrated enough faith to actually do something that up until now only Jesus had done. Jesus and no one else turned water into wine. Jesus and no one else fed 5,000 men and their families. But here, Jesus isn't the only one who walks on water. Jesus said, come, and Peter went. Now, this took great faith on the part of Peter, faith that demonstrated Peter's belief in the power, if not yet the identity, of Jesus Christ. So there's no question we can see the disciples' faith growing. You know, Brian, it's one thing to admit Jesus can perform miracles. He had already done them, so it wouldn't take much faith to believe he could do another one. But to believe Jesus can impart his power into the life of another, uh, to believe like Peter did, that Jesus can give you the power to do something he himself is doing, well, that took a kind of faith we had not yet seen from the disciples. And that's the question I want to leave with our listeners today. Do you have enough faith in the power of God to believe he can do things through you? Jesus is standing there, standing out on that water, as it were, beckoning you to come, asking you to climb out of your boat and walk over to him, to defy the laws of physics, to do the impossible. He is saying, come and live a holy, righteous life. Come and love your enemies. Come and let me set you free from addiction, from depression, from all that entangles you and prevents you from doing my will. These things are no more unattainable than walking on water. The question is, will you fix your eyes on Jesus and join
1: him in doing the impossible? Do you have that kind of faith? That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message, The Perfect Storm Miracle. Well, Ron, as we wrap things up for today, tell us where you're headed tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus.
0: Well, Brian, the next miracle in the Gospel of John brings up a fascinating theological question. It involves a man who had been blind from birth. Jesus and the disciples see this man, and the disciples ask Jesus a a remarkable question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Uh, Now, you see, uh, they were convinced that personal sin was the reason behind this infirmity. Uh, They weren't necessarily blaming the blind man, but in their minds, someone in the family must have sinned or else this would never have happened. I'll dive into this uh, theological concept, and I think it will open some eyes to the way
1: God actually operates in this world. That's tomorrow when Ron shares his message, The Blind Man Miracle. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.